So when you're thinking of a change, what do you think of? Thinking of change. Um, I don't really know what you mean. You disappoint me. How many uh, local uh, Giants games do you think you watch in a season? I know you're not. Uh, you don't get bigger into it until like halfway through the season. But what do you think you watch? I mean, from start to finish, I would say not many. But I, I frequently have Giants games on just in the background when I'm at home, kind of doing other things. Gotcha. Okay. So no, like uh, for like uh, ever since I moved to the Bay Area and I started watching those games, they they've had the same exact sponsor anytime there's a pitching change. Oh, I see. I I'm picking up what you're what you're putting down now. Uh, is that uh, what people say? That is what people say. Yeah, uh, that's what the the kids say. And then at the um, it's a uh, Jiffy Lube. Not at all. Oh, is that is was not not the one? No. Wait, which one is it? It's when you're thinking of a change, think speedy oil change and speedy. Uh, that's right. There's more to it. They changed it in the uh, 2013 season. It used to be a speedy oil change and tune-up, and then it was they seemed to have broadened their product offerings and they have <laughs> updated the copy. Sure, yeah. Kind of got to stay hip with the times. Yeah, but I don't know. That, that always gets me. I find it very fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, the Giants have been fun to watch recently. Uh, yeah, more fun to watch than they, they were previously, yes. You mean in prior years or in their really rough start to the season? They're in their rough start to the season. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that, that sponsor read is kind of funny when there are lots of pitching changes in a game because they have to they go through it like six or seven times. No, it's I good. There, like... was, there was um, there was a eight to one or sorry, I think it was nine to one uh, Astros versus Giants game uh, recently. And yeah, they went through three pitchers in like a single inning. And it was just it's really funny because I say it no matter what. It's kind of kind of weird to be the company that basically wants to root for pitchers to do poorly. I don't think so. I think they just don't expect it to happen that often. I don't think they're prouder when it happens five times in a game. Well, but if you think about it, if, if a pitcher pitches a complete game, which is something that, you know, for the team you support, you would normally root for, but... Well, I then, mean... but then, then they have the opportunity to make a forward right choice. <laughs> I suppose. Or the Toyota player of the game, or... Yeah. Yeah, the Comcast Sportsnet uh, has uh, limited sponsors, but a it's it's burned in my memory, so something's working. Where where do you get your oil changed? Uh, at the dealership. <laughs> well, so it's so it's not actually working. No, no, I just I I, I have the brand awareness, and that's all that mm. matters. I see. Well, but does the brand awareness matter if you're not actually using the service? Of course it does. That's why Yahoo, what, it's what why way? Yahoo's still around. <laughs> oh. Wow. Pretty good. Yeah. Is, is, this, is this what the people tune in for, you think? I think so. Regional sports news. Or not even mm. sports news. Uh, regional baseball advertisers, which is probably the, as narrow a market as you can get. Just about, yeah. yeah. What, um, what, what ice cream are you eating? Oh, are, are you able to hear it? Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, that's awful. Uh, I am, <laughs> I am I'm drinking. Are you you're you're drinking ice cream? Well, actually, hold on to change topics a tiny bit. As a kid, did you ever do the thing where you got ice cream and then you would uh, take your spoon and you would try to like make it into like not not a milkshake, but more of like a like a soup, kind of yeah yeah absolutely oh yeah that was the best oh yeah you know you do that with uh, rainbow sherbet oh yeah ew you didn't like rainbow sherbet no it was all about orange sherbet or regular ice cream. Hmm. What do you mean by regular ice cream? 
like your, your standard chocolates or vanillas or um, or uh, your mint chip. Mint chip. Yeah, that was always good. Anyway, what I'm having today is the uh, dryer's slow churned uh, drumstick pieces ice cream. <laughs> slow. Oh, you get the, you get the slow churned version. Yeah, it's it's got it's got uh, a third of the calories. What's hmm? So by churning the ice cream more slowly, that reduces the number of calories. Yeah, it doesn't have exactly the same consistency as um, your uh, everyday ice creams, but it's still very good, and it's and it's slightly less bad for you. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I just watched a uh, documentary last weekend about. Um, on, on the surface, it was about childhood obesity, but you watched Fed Up, didn't you? Fed Up, yeah. Oh yeah, Sarah and I watched that like a year ago. Um, oh, Katie Kirk. Ugh. But uh, I, I guess you know. The, one of the one one of the kind of main points is that you know non-fat or low-fat foods are actually frequently no better. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. No, because they're just they're they're using added sugars and everything else to uh, make up for the flavor. So do you think maybe that's going on with your your slow churn drumstick bit ice cream? No, because there's not added sugar and it's there's no sugar substitutes in it. There's no no Splenda in your ice cream. No, uh, or maybe there is, but I'm not gonna find out. <laughs> but I, I I think it's just the consistency's a bit different. But overall, um, you get what you like out of it. I see. Now, th- this is actually, I think, what the people tune in for. Yeah. They, you, you come for your regional sports advertisements, and you uh, you stay for the, your favorite ice cream flavors. Yeah. Well, actually, let's keep going with this. Yeah. <laughs> what is your uh, favorite, uh, you're feeling stressed out, or you just you just need something that's uh, not necessarily a food, but more of something that, like, of a sweet or a dessert? Oh, that's a, it's a great question. Um, definitely some type of, um, like, Ben & Jerry's just ice cream. Like, you know, one of the so little... you mean like you just eat alone with a pint of ice cream and you just watch uh, The Daily Show or something? A- absolutely, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's, a, that's a go-to. I don't, you know, it's not a not a frequent thing. I mean, which is, that's probably a good thing, right? Given the context of your question. But um, no, but yeah, though, that's that's definitely the, the comfort food of choice. Very good. And usually, you know, with, with one of those things, you want to limit yourself to maybe a quarter of it per sitting. But you know, when, when you're when you're in the mood that that you describe, you know, that that's where you don't feel bad about you know maybe maybe half of it or or possibly more. I think with the Ben and Jerry's things are tough, just because it feels like it could potentially be a one sitting thing. Oh, I, and, I, and once I mean, you get going, I, it's it's tough to tell from when you've had two spoons to it being three quarters of the way gone. Yeah, I mean, once you once you pop the fun, don't stop. Is that Ruffles? No, uh, that's Pringles. How can how can you not know that reference, Mister Mister Brand? Because <laughs> I didn't watch, or I, I don't know. It's just not my style. Hmm. You weren't a you weren't a Pringles guy growing up. Not at all. I always thought those tasted super gross. Really? Yeah, they and they still do taste super gross unless you get like the salt and vinegar ones, which are um, like, well, of course, all you're tasting is salt and vinegar. Well, let's. I mean, let's just keep going down this completely irrelevant rabbit hole here. What, do people um, want to hear more about the, I think, the I think watch? They do. I don't think so. Well, eventually we'll get we'll get to that at some point. But so, what, what's your what's your potato chip of choice? You mean brand name potato chip or period? <laughs> um, I guess period. I don't really know what what else is there. Well, I mean, if you want to get obscure, like I mean, there's the fancy like the Whole Foods and the Trader Joe's potato chips. 
Like I'm a big fan of the um, very plain, just olive oil and salt potato chips that are available at Trader Joe's. There's no like added nonsense to it. It's just literally potatoes, olive oil, and salt. And they're very good. Okay. And if I want to go for a name brand, um, I, I like a, a Wavy Lay's. I don't, like, I don't care for ruffles. I'm sorry. Is that is? I'm sorry. What? So uh, Lay's, you know how they're they're traditionally the very very thin potato chip. Yes. And so they have their ruffles competitor, which is uh, called Wavy Lay's, <laughs> and they're very good. I prefer them over uh, over ruffles, and they have um, they have much better flavors. I'm I'm a fan of the roasted garlic flavor. Hmm. I I can't say I've ever heard of that. Hmm. I, I can't. I haven't heard of a, a, a what do you call it? A, a wavy lay. <laughs> They're wavy lays. Like I'm not. A, I'm not crazy. Hold on. No, I mean I believe you, kind of, but um, I just not something I'm familiar with. No, I'm more of a. Um, I'm more of a sunship guy. Do you, love sunships? Do you, do you also drive a Subaru to your PDA <laughs> PTA meetings? I do, as a matter of fact. Yes, over in uh, over in Berkeley, over near uh, over near your part of town. Oh, sun chips are the worst. <laughs> no, they're they're really not though. They're, no, they're actually the best because they have the grossest flavors. There's either the like the the yucky uh, um, sour cream and onion ones, or there's that weird like mango salsa or like they're they're the worst. Yeah, well, it's it's garden salsa actually, but no, you've got to um, you got to stick with the regular sun chips. I, I mostly agree that the the flavored ones are are not very good, but the a, a good plain sun chip is uh, is pretty tough to beat. Well, then what on earth does it taste like? I don't. I don't know. The sun chips have a very distinct flavor that's hard to hard to compare with anything else. Uh, okay. All right. Well, enough. Enough of the. Enough of the fooling around here. Let's <laughs> let's get to the the real business of the week. Um. Uh. Sure. And that's gonna be. Um. Nothing about a watch. Hold on. Uh, n- not at all. No, it's actually going to be primarily about the watch. I I, I feel like I have a lot. Well, actually, a lot on, to hold, say. Can, can we can we delay that for a minute? Uh, yeah. Do you have a you have a sponsor break? Uh yeah. Can I tell you about something awesome? I I I would like to. Uh, yes. All right. Today's episode is sponsored by uh, Hover. Uh huh. Is that where you registered uh, your fancy website? The technically correct I, th- I think you're thinking of GoDaddy. No, no way, right? Well, no, yeah, you don't you don't want to actually register there. Okay. Anyway, no, let's um the Bill Simmons news. Oh, sure. Yeah, okay. So what happened there? So was he on was he on a contract? Yeah, so he he was on a I I want to say like a 5-year contract or so. He's been with ESPN for I think about 15 years now, but his most recent contract was somewhere around 5 years and it was set to expire uh, in September and kind of out of nowhere, uh, last Friday morning, uh, ESPN announced that they were not going to be renewing, uh, the contract with, with Simmons. And it was a really weird situation because literally just minutes before the news broke, he was tweeting about the Grantland basketball hour, which he had filmed the night before, you know, just a regular old promotional kind of tweet that he always does. So it was very obvious that he was not expecting the, this, this news to come out. And, you know, it's one of those things where we'll get the real story some number of years in the future. But um, even without, you know, all the concrete facts, it, it doesn't really 
take a lot of uh, leaps of faith to kind of figure out what was going on here. I mean, the, the relationship between Simmons and ESPN has been strained for a while now, particularly after the whole uh, Roger Goodell thing last fall. So, I, you know, I, I thought there was actually a pretty good chance he wasn't even going to come back from that, that I, he just wouldn't come back from his suspension. He'd just leave. But, um, you know, he did come back, and things seemed, you know, for the most part normal since. But still, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really surprised at all by this. And his main uh, like duties right now, he just runs the Grantland website, does a few podcasts, and then does that like hour of TV a week. Yeah, that's about that's about right. He will co-host some of the radio shows. He's been on like Pardon the Interruption, some just various other ESPN things. But yeah, for the most part, it's it's the BS Report and uh, Grantland. Gotcha. He always seemed like a, a tremendous writer and a very um, like he was very on it in terms of uh, mixing uh, mixing sports and popular culture in a very interesting way. Whereas Sports Center and a lot of the ESPN like on-air programming. Has kind of devolved into just weird, like tweet reading. Yeah, um, yeah. Grantland is one of those websites where there's just really nothing else quite like it, and it it strangely appeals to kind of a, what you would think would be a very small kind of niche of people, but actually appeals to I think a lot of people because it it, it does seem like there's there's a big group who who's into sports, but then also is into kind of like the very mainstream of pop culture, which is kind of what their pop culture section focuses on. Um, and they, they blend those two things together really, really well. And I, I just, I, it's, it's one of those websites where almost every single article that comes out, I find interesting. Like if that makes sense, it's almost like it's, it's like the DVR for the internet where it just like, it's just, it's picking out the, the, the best things. Yeah, I, I didn't always read like I I tried getting into his podcast and I did, I couldn't just because it sometimes got a little too basketball heavy for me and I don't understand who cousin Sal is. Um, oh, he's the best. But yeah, I I enjoy like in in sports like football where I I don't care about the Super Bowl. I have no idea who any of these teams are. Um, I, I read pretty much every word of his like he did like this um like play by play thing for like the last like twelve minutes of the game this year of the Super Bowl, which was which is a really good read. So no, he he just has a way of um, just a way of writing. Yeah, that was that was one of his uh, running diary series. Yeah, that that was tremendous. Yeah, he does that during big sport moments, particularly when they involve his teams. Yeah, and you know it's it says a lot that I like him because he absolutely loathes the Lakers. He's a huge Celtics fan, Ooh. and he, he he's not shy about that at all. But he's he's already he's already risen up in my book. <laughs> but despite that, I still really really enjoy him. But I, I mean, I guess I'm also kind of naturally inclined where I, I prefer to have conversations with people that I that I don't agree with, as opposed to just having a boring conversation with someone who agrees with everything that I think. So and I think that's why we do this show. <laughs> it's a very, very, very true. All right. Let's so then let's uh, smoothly transition this into uh, this week's Uber discussion. <laughs> uh, are, are we we're going to we're going to do this? So I'm not sure there's a whole lot to do. So why, why don't you recap the article? Because I actually didn't uh, have a chance to read the entire thing, but it just confirms most of what I thought. But go, just give it a quick rundown. We won't spend too much time on this. And this this was in Philadelphia. Yeah, so it's been a while since we've talked about Uber. So I guess 
were, were overdue. This was linked to by, uh, by Gruber on, on Daring Fireball. Uh, this comes from the Philadelphia City Paper, uh, written by Emily Gwenstenberger. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly, but Let's say, yeah. close. I, I apologize to uh, Emily. So the, the, the whole premise of this article is that she was really curious uh, how much Uber drivers actually took home. Like, what, what was their take-home pay? Because historically, what Uber has uh, talked about publicly are gross fares, which is, you know, before, or which is, which is the price per hour before you consider things like Uber share uh, and, and driver expenses. And, you know, one of the things that she tried to do was just ride in a bunch of Ubers and, and, and ask drivers, look around on the internet, you know, kind of various, just, you know, kind of traditional sort of investigative journalism. And, you know, she, she had trouble finding a lot of drivers who were, you know, willing to, to talk to her. And she was kind of hearing some conflicting things. So, she decided to, you know, sign up and, and become an Uber driver herself, which is exactly what she did. And, you know, in, in addition to just talking about the the dollars and cents, as you would say, she also gives, you know, some fairly interesting personal anecdotes about, you know, her very first, you know, rider and the rating system and some other various, you know, parts of her experience. Um, but the article ultimately, you know, concludes with some charts and some some graphs around what her uh, what her take home pay was, and um, you know it, it, it's it's not great. Uh, it, it's it's somewhere somewhere around between ten and eleven dollars an hour. Um, sometimes maybe even a little bit more, or sometimes a little bit less. Excuse me, depending on the nature of the rides that she's giving. Um, shorter shorter rides over time end up being less profitable for the driver than than longer rides do. Um, and you know, yeah, I mean that, that really was, was kind of the, the, the punchline of the article is that, you know, Uber's out there saying that drivers are very well compensated. I mean, one of the quotes that she, uh, refers to a couple of times in the article is that Uber has said that some drivers in New York city make $90,000 a year. Um, and she, she has a quip near the very end of the article that, uh, in order to make that $90,000 a year, uh, drivers would have to work something like 27 hours a day, 365 days a year. Um, so, you know, um, a very sobering article for someone like me who, who uses Uber a lot, but at the same time, also, I guess not, not particularly surprising. I don't think, you know, I, I always, I always kind of operated under the assumption that, some of the figures that Uber was putting out about driver compensation were biased to say the least. So I guess, so, but this, this will not change your, um, your uh, commuting preferences. Um, well, I, I guess the, the thing that the article doesn't go into, which I would have to kind of research on my own to compare is, is how this, how this compares to traditional cab drivers and, and their take home pay. I, I honestly don't have a sense for that. And the, the article touches on it a little bit by talking about how, you know, cab drivers aren't responsible for the wear and tear on their car and, and things like that, which Uber drivers are. And that, you know, that actually does end up being a, a substantial cost. 
but it doesn't actually give any sort of comparison figures. So, so a couple things with that. Like, I would assume that um, that traditional taxicab drivers do make more. Their costs are just allocated a little differently. Um, with like in certain markets, medallion rentals and all or or leases um, impact that a little bit differently. But I think like one of the biggest problems with Uber, not just the fact that they already have stated that they intend to replace every human in their organization that's not based out of HQ with robots um, in the next five to 10 years, is that like they have that weird um, insurance structure where they tell somebody that their regular old personal automobile insurance will be plenty enough to cover them in the event of an accident. I think that's one weird like fake hidden cost center that Uber has that I think is um, shady for a number of reasons. But I don't know, this, this article confirms a lot of what I'd already thought, which is kind of disappointing. And it's only one market with one person's experience, but with the drastically reduced fares that I have in the past referred to as predatory pricing, which I still stand by. Um, yeah, it, it, it's good to have some, um, to have some supporting evidence, sort of anecdotal evidence. The the insurance thing is um, is interesting. Like so, the, the the article talks about how many personal insurance policies, you know, very explicitly don't cover this type of use of of cars. And you know, Uber's position is that their policy really only covers you from the time that you pick up a, a passenger to the time that you drop them off. And so there's this weird time between pickups where your personal insurance company may make the argument that even between passengers, you're still operating your vehicle in a commercial manner. So you're actually not covered there and you're not covered by Uber's policy. So, you know, half the time you're in your car, basically, you're, you're basically uninsured. And then even when you do go into Uber's policy it's it's a secondary policy meaning that as a driver you have to first go through your personal policy and try to get them to reimburse the cost which potentially exposes you to you know talking about how you were using your vehicle which could then maybe void your insurance and the article even says you know might even be grounds for the insurance company suing you for fraud so yeah the, the insurance thing is is not is not pleasant um, and, and the other thing that the, the, the piece talks about quite a bit is the way that Uber structures prices, where when they first enter a new market, pricing is very strong and driver compensation's reasonable. But then as Uber gains traction in a market and demand picks up, they gradually lower the price and they lower the price to the point where it no longer becomes economically viable for drivers. And it's, it's, you know, in some ways it's, it's a bait and switch where, you know, a lot of these drivers go out, they purchase new vehicles, they, you know, they basically have this become their, their full-time job where they, they become, you know, dependent upon you know, the, the money that they make. And that, that money basically gets taken away from them sometimes overnight with these fare decreases. Oh, sure. And, and uh, routine and vague uh, driver deactivations. Yeah, that, that's that's another really interesting thing is so I guess when you when you're an Uber driver, really the only 
the only thing you get when you start is a is a YouTube video, a training video that's like 13 minutes long. And that's about it. And it, it talks a little bit about the rating system and about how often you accept rides versus rejecting rides. But, you know, it, it doesn't give any sort of hard figures. So, you, you know, if your rating drops, you don't know how far it can drop before it becomes a problem. You know, there's just sort of all these little details where you just don't know. Um, and, on, you know, on top of the fact that you're just a contractor, you know, to, to say that there isn't any job security is a huge understatement. Yep. I just, you know, I, I guess I guess one of the other things, too, that I, you know, the, the, the fact that the compensation is not great and that there's, there's some risk involved, you know, th- these are all... These are all things that just need to be made known. Like, I, I just wish Uber was not so coy about it. Like, I, I just I just wish that they would give very explicit, you know, take-home pay figures for their drivers. I wish that they would address this insurance issue. I wish that they would give their drivers better information about the rating that they're expected to keep. I just wish they were more clear about a lot of this stuff i just it just it seems like with a lot of the uber stuff we've talked about in the past they're just shooting themselves in the foot and it just it just seems so unnecessary and so just just stupid yeah but i mean from their perspective um why, why would they care because they're going through such a, a high growth like th- through the stage of ex- uh, exponential growth where they're customer base and potential driver base seems unlimited to the point where they have no incentive to care. They can just do whatever they like. And again, by the time things shake out, they'll just be replaced by robots. Well, that's, that's about, that's about all I have to say about this. It's, it's not a, it's not a pleasant article, but I'm, I'm really, really glad that it was written and that, that I read it. It was, it was very interesting. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and somewhat related, uh, I would recommend reading uh, for people. There was a story on uh, Back Channel, which is a medium blog uh, that talked about the safety record and progress of Google's self-driving car project, which I found I saw that cool. headline, but I didn't, didn't read the article. Yeah, I, I would recommend it. All right. So do you want to talk about your watch concerns or, or whatever else? I, I think I do. Okay. You go for it. I'll just sit here and eat ice cream. So it's been been exactly a week with the watch. Um, there's a, there's a lot to I think there's a lot to talk about. Um, I, I think my my number one kind of complaint is the same one that I had right off the bat last week, where I just don't find the the taptic feedback to be strong enough. Uh, there's a there's a setting which I enabled after the show last week called prominent haptic, where when you get certain types of notifications, uh, things like primarily like text messages and other things that you can actively respond to the, 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 you know, the taptic feedback is much is stronger. It's almost like a small vibration, but even that I find particularly if I'm walking or running, I, I still miss those uh, fairly frequently. Um, and I actually even went to the Apple store last weekend and, and the, they were nice enough to let me try on one of the other watches, the same exact model and everything that I have. And, I got to feel some of the taps on that one, and it you know felt the same. So it seems like you know my my watch is working fine. It's just just the nature of 
how I how the how I feel the taps. I, I don't know if it's the the way it, the watch fits on me or what, but or if it's related to you know having a pebble before, which had a really really strong you know vibration feedback. I don't know exactly what it is, but um. Now, actually, you know, one of my one of my coworkers got one uh, the other day, and he's kind of had a, a similar sort of response to it. And he didn't have a pebble before, and I, I did a little bit of uh, just Google searching, and it it does seem like it's an issue that some people have. It's not like a huge pervasive problem, but looking around like on Apple's forums and on Mac Rumors, uh, there there are some folks who have had similar comments. Um, but it's, you know, for me, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a little bit of a bummer because, you know, one of the other things that's different about the Pebble too, is that when I had the Pebble, you know, my phone still vibrated. So when I would get a notification, my phone would vibrate and my watch would vibrate. So there was almost no chance that I would, you know, miss a notification. But now with the Apple watch, not only are, not only is the topic feedback weaker, but you know, when you, when you're wearing Apple watch, your phone also doesn't vibrate. So you really are dependent upon feeling the notification on your wrist to to know when you get a notification. So I don't know. Is is this completely different than your experience or what? Um, I don't think I've had the issue to the degree that you have, but I think after um, having used it for about two weeks now, <clears throat> um, I feel like I'm either feeling phantom taps or I'm feeling, uh, or I'm missing notifications, and I don't know if that's. I'm not really sure what the the reasoning behind that is, but I I, I don't know. I don't mind it too much. But yeah, I, I am finding a lot of times when I'm just checking the time, I will see that red dot up there, and I will not have um, known that something happened, or I might have maybe just forgotten and gotten distracted. I don't know. Well, one one little thing that I learned is that if you have notifications turned on for an app but you have the sounds turned off for that app then the notification actually doesn't uh, give you a a taptic response when you when you get something so like for example slack on my iphone i get push notifications but i had the sounds muted so when a notification gets pushed pushed to the watch you know the little red dot will come up but it, it does not provide taptic feedback um but you know, even like you know, Marco Marco talked about this too on ATP, and it, it actually it sounded like he had exactly the same experience that I did, where just having you know the taptic feedback turned all the way up, he was very frequently missing those, and then even with the prominent haptic, he still occasionally misses them, and that's that's been exactly my experience. Um, I guess I, I I really I really wish there were an option when you when you have the watch to to still have your phone vibrate at least for certain things and you know it it actually already does that to a degree where when you get a phone call both your phone and your watch will will vibrate and you know give you feedback I I, I wish there was an option to do that with like text messages too Well, if we're making wishes for things that'll never happen, uh, can I also put in the hat? that I would like for when your phone is unlocked and charging that you, it doesn't even have to vibrate, but that you could preview notifications on the watch. I would find that very useful. Yeah, there, there are, there are a lot of really weird quirks about the way that the phone and the watch interact. Like an example that I ran into yesterday is I, I drove home from work and I, I was running an errand and I, I had, I enabled turn by turn directions on my phone and, you know, put it in the, the car mount that I have. 
And whenever you put on turn-by-turn directions on your phone, your watch also displays them. Oh, but you use Google Maps, or you use uh, Apple Maps directions. Yeah, that's correct. Gotcha. And so, you know, as I'm leaving the parking lot, all of a sudden my wrist starts going crazy because I, I start getting the left and right turn taps. And, you know, that's, that's just that's useless when you're driving. And I, just, there doesn't seem to be a way to uh, disable that. Um, but at the same time, there are also a lot of really smart ways that the watch and phone interact. Like, for example, if, you know, if you take your watch off and, and put it on the charger, then your phone does start to vibrate again when it does get notifications. So little things like that. Well, actually, I, I think that's the, the way it happens, period. If you take the watch off, even if you're not charging it, it acknowledges that it's no longer touching you and the notifications go back to normal. Well, that could be. I guess the only the only times I've really had the watch off is when I've been charging it. So, but yeah, no, you're you're probably right. Um, so I guess some other like just various notes from from first week of use. Um, third party apps are terrible. Um, they're they're slow. They generally have very limited utility, and I I haven't really found a single one yet where the experience is better or quicker than it is just pulling out my phone. The, like Glances are nice, particularly for stopping and playing, you know, whatever audio you're currently playing, especially with the 30-second back and forward buttons. But um, I just, yeah, I just, third-party apps in general just really, just aren't great. They're just, they're just, they're, they're, they have such a prominent place on the watch, and I just, I just don't think they're very good. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. And this whole, this whole thing, which has to just be a bug, but if you don't have an app enabled on your phone, and then the, that app gets updated just through the app store, it automatically gets installed on your phone. Like that, just, it just drives me. Or I'm sorry, on your watch, it just drives me crazy. And it just that has that has to be a bug. It has to be. Oh, yeah. And also, I have an application that got updated, and I'm not exactly sure which one it is, but it tried reinstalling itself on the watch. And for the past two days, it's had an hourglass icon. Like, you know the thing when you're downloading an application and it shows its progress? Yes. Um, It currently has a uh, progress bar on two of my applications that just have never finished installing, and I have no idea which ones they are. Yeah, I had that happen with uh, MLB at bat, where I, I didn't have it on the watch. It got updated. It installed itself on the watch. I didn't want it on the watch, so I tried to uninstall it, and whenever I would do that, it would just sit there saying uninstalling forever, and it would never actually delete itself off the watch. Very good. Yeah. Um, what else? What else? Um, I think the, the, the activity stuff is actually pretty good. I, you know, we've talked about on the show how I've never really been one to get hooked on like a fuel band or a Fitbit or anything like that. But I do actually really enjoy having the activity monitor like on my watch face. Um, And at least for this first week, I have, you know, found myself wanting to achieve, you know, my like my activity goal for each day. That that's something that might wear off over time. We'll see. But I actually have been liking that quite a bit. Um, you know, thing it's it's kind of surprising. It's like the things that I didn't really give a whole lot of thought to or didn't expect not to like or the things that are kind of bugging me. Like I didn't I didn't at all think like the tapping thing would be an issue or that third party apps would be so bad. Um 
But then the things that I was concerned about, like battery life and having the screen be off by default and then turning on, you know, dynamically when it thinks you're looking at it, um, like those two things specifically, the battery and the screen have actually been fantastic. Um, like I'm, let's take a look here. So it's, you know, about 1030 at night. I've had my watch on since about 7.15, 7.30 this morning. Um, I've been using it throughout the day, went for a run this evening, and I'm still at 43%, which is really, really good. Um, and I, in general, I find the screen to turn on almost every single time I want it to. Uh, there, I mean, there are exceptions to that, but for the most part, I, I don't have any problem with that. And I actually, you know, yesterday I had almost the opposite problem where, so one of the really smart features is do not disturb is mirrored across both your phone and your watch. So if you turn on do not disturb on your watch, it also turns it on your phone and vice versa, which is, which is really great. I like that a lot, but I was, I was at the movies last night and, you know, turned on do not disturb on my watch. But, you know, even though turning that on disables notifications, what it doesn't disable is the screen still automatically turning itself on when, when it thinks you want to look at it. So as I'm sitting there watching the movie, every single time I move my wrist in a way where the watch thinks I want to see it, the screen still turns on, which is not, not ideal. So it'd be nice if there was some type of do not disturb mode, which was like real do not disturb where like the watch just doesn't just doesn't turn on yeah is there any way other than turning off the device entirely that you can make the screen not light up not that i'm aware of there is there is some type of um when you go to the battery glance there's a button that says power reserve yeah i haven't i I haven't tried that though so i just tried that right now trying to figure out what it does and it just makes it so all you can do is see the time in bright green which allegedly might be the most energy efficient color, maybe. Good color, good choice. No, it's gross. That's great. It's a good um, Celtics green. <laughs> um, I find I, I'm really I'm I'm pretty happy with my watch face, which is the one that we talked about on the show last week. It um, the calendar thing in the middle. It's sometimes a little clunky, especially if it's got like a long like if the, if if your meeting has like a long appointment name or something like that it gets a little clunky but um for the most part it, it is it is really nice when you glance down like date time next calendar appointment temperature like that's that's pretty good information at, at, at a glance um what uh what else here um notifications are are kind of hit or miss on the watch like I, th- I think when you address them right away one at a time they're they're pretty easy to work with, but I find that when they start to pile up, you know, swiping down on the watch face and then scrolling through all your notifications, that starts to get a little clunky. You know, there is the clear all force touch uh, gesture, which is nice, but yeah, it's it's hard to deal with multiple notifications uh, if you don't if you don't deal with them one by one. It just it just gets a little clunky on the watch. And even just uh, bringing up a notification that happened previously and that you didn't intend to correctly, yeah, I think there's a bit too many. There's there's too many swipes that will kind of uh, be required to to act upon it. Just like anything, I, I I guess I think that's the issue with a lot of it is that if you don't act on it immediately and it isn't a notification that got your attention, 
it just seems like it's not the appropriate device for most things. Right. And the other thing that I, that I find a little annoying too with notifications is, if, you know, for the most part, app notifications are in sync between your phone and your watch, but not always. Like, for example, when you get notifications for your daily activity goals, those don't show up on your phone. So you can you can have those notifications piled up on your watch and there's no way to just clear them on your phone. Like, I, I, I kind of wish that, like, no matter what, if you so chose, you could have your notifications 100% synced between the watch and the phone. Because it just, it just now, it's like, instead of clearing notifications in one place, you got to clear them, like, in a second place. And that's on top of the fact that third-party apps, apparently, don't have the ability to sync notifications from uh, different uh, devices. Like, so... Wait, I was, we were... hold on. Say that again. So you, you're saying that if you clear a notification on the watch, it doesn't get cleared on your phone? Because that has not been my experience. No, no, no. That that does happen. But what I'm saying is that, like, with your daily activity, those notifications, mm -hmm. those those do not show up on your phone. And as far as I know, there's no way to get them to show up on your phone. So if you want to clear them, you have to do it through the watch. Correct. I just, I just, but with all other types of notifications, you know, they show up in both places and they can be cleared in either place, which which is which makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah. But then the second point I was making was that, like, we were texting about this earlier today, like, with Fantastic Cal, if I get a calendar reminder um, on both OS X and on my iOS devices, clearing the notification on one of those devices doesn't clear it on the other. So you have to clear it in two places. Just, just notification, notification center in general, I mean, this is not a original thought. People have been complaining about the way notifications work for a while, but I think just the watch highlights some of the limitations and kind of just general cruft of notification center um, and i'd be really surprised if we don't hear a lot about what they're doing with notification center in ios 9 at wwdc i i, th I think it's i think it's time for a, a pretty big overhaul of the way that whole system works yeah we'll find out in just about a month indeed yeah um other random thoughts on the watch uh, performance isn't very good. You know, I think, um, can, I, can I make a quick point here? Yeah. I like how much more down you are about this than you were last week. No, no, no. I think, um, I, I think in general, I think in general, the watch is pretty good and it's mostly in line with what I was expecting. And I think I was been thinking about this too. Like, the fact that I've had a pebble for the last couple of years, I think, does take away a lot from some of the, you know, kind of newness of wearing a watch like this. Because even though the pebble was extremely limited, it still kind of did most of what I'm using the Apple Watch for. So it's not like the Apple Watch was this entirely new thing for me. Um, but yeah, so with the performance thing, the way the best way to describe it is the way I think that Jason Snell did um, this week on Upgrade, which is, or I guess no, it wasn't Jason Snell. I think it was maybe it was Syracuse. I don't remember. All the all these podcasts kind of blend together. Uh, they were describing it as kind of kind of feeling like a two or three generation old iPhone. It's like if you, like in today's world, if you were to go back to like an iPhone five or an iPhone four S. It, it's kind of it kind of feels the way that scrolling and tapping on those devices feels where it's it's pretty good still 
but it's just it's just not as smooth and responsive as like the current generation of iPhones and iPads is. And I think that's a very I think that's a very accurate description. Yeah, sounds about right. Again, yeah, I don't know. I'm not super I don't think I was ever super enthusiastic about it. I, I think I had very, very low expectations of it. And it actually exceeded those just a tiny bit. In the sense that like when like I thought I actually thought I was go when I forgot to cancel my pre order that I thought I was going to return it. But no, I think I think it's it's suitable enough or it or it's doing enough where it's still worthwhile. Because for me I was always going to wear some type of like fitness wearable. So I don't know. So has this has this replaced your, your field man? Oh yeah, I'm not I'm not gonna be like some kind of weirdo that wears both. Like that would just be strange. And what's your what's your experience been like with the activity stuff? Because I know that that plays a much more central part in your, you know, kind of your day to day than it does mine. No, it, it's it's still pretty awful. I I don't like the 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 workout application. I think you brought up you um, brought up a, a really clear cut example of what I dislike about the workout application. Like you were saying that you can't see your pace and like distance at the same time. Was that it? Yeah. It's- yeah, that that fit the fitness app is terrible. Like it seems like it was just not designed by anybody who actually like runs or does anything like it just doesn't make sense how it's organized. Also, have you tried the the Nike app? No. Yeah, so Nike has an Apple Watch app which, you know, has the whole fuel thing and all that. So, that seems like that'd be worth giving a try. Yeah. Um I mean, overall the activity uh, application I kind of like I dislike how much it downplays steps which I know that's not the best um, metric for tracking uh, fitness activity but I'm just I don't know it, it's not doing exactly what I what I think I would want out of it but yeah it, it, it does so much more and it has the rich notification support that uh, that I think I really like I, I do like the, the the reminders to stand up I do actually find those to be pretty useful and i think it it seems to do it at pretty good intervals like when it when it does tap me to remind me i'm like yeah actually it it, it does feel like i should kind of get up and move around a little bit um so i I actually i have been liking that but yeah the the fitness stuff in general is is very it's it's very limited um and you know the the fitness app in particular just the, the whole experience when you're using it so it when when you're on a run or you're doing some type of activity the way that it works is, you know, normally when you're in a third-party app and then you you go away from it and then you, you know, flip your wrist back to to look at the watch again, it's more times than not, it's gone back to the watch face. And But with, with the, the fitness app, it, it stays on the fitness app. And, you know, in, in addition to the, the UI being very limited and it not really providing much useful information, it also takes away other information such as the little notification dot so that doesn't show up in the fitness app so if you're running and you know especially if you miss the taptic notification which again when i'm running that's the time i find i most frequently miss them when you're looking at the fitness app there's no way to know if you have a uh, pending notification or not you actually have to go back to the watch face and and look there and i think what you were talking about last week too with um, like music control, you know, because you're in in the fitness app, you can't just swipe up to get to the glances and then get to the music control. You actually have to go to the watch face and then get to glances or go directly into your 
you know, either podcasting or music playing app. So it's just, it's just the whole experience using the, the fitness app is, is not very good. What I don't know, or what I think might be interesting to figure out is, is what will be the software update strategy for this? Like, I think, is, is it going to be a product where Apple iterates very quickly on it and will take user feedback into consideration and, uh, and adjust some key parts of the user interface and experience in like a, in a point release? Like, will, will watchOS 1.1 be a big difference? Or will we have to wait for, like, a watch 2.0? Um, I mean, I, I hope I hope we get major improvements in a, in a dot point out, you know, dot dot one release. Um, I don't really remember back to the early days of the iPhone what that was like. Do you like did we get major updates like prior to then? I guess it was iPhone OS two. Not really. But again, I think things were different back then. It was a different era. A simpler time. Um. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I I I think maybe I'm just being optimistic. I I think I think we're gonna see improvements before we see like a full Watch OS two. Um. But yeah, I I don't I don't know for sure. But I I definitely hope we do. I I hope between that and like having native third party apps. Yeah, I, I hope I hope that we see improvement sooner rather than later. Yeah, I certainly do as well. Um, but you know, for for as kind of seemingly negative as as some of this has been, I actually do I actually do really like it. Um, th- there are lots of really great little things, like you know, being able to skip to the next podcast in in Overcast without pulling out your phone. Is I, I had I did that today when I was on a run, and that was that was really great. Um, you know, being able to send really quick responses back on text messages right from your wrist. That's really great. Um, you know, there's just, there's a lot of little, there's a lot of little things that I already talked about. I, I generally enjoy the information that's on the watch face. Um, there, there are a lot of really neat little things that I, that I like a lot. Um, but I, I think needless to say, there's also a, a ton that can be improved upon. Yeah, very much so. Have you ever seen a, a Microsoft band in person? <laughs> no. Okay. I don't mean on a person. I just mean like in a store or something. Because of course, no, no, it would never be worn on a person. But <laughs> no, I, I haven't. I haven't been to a Microsoft store in quite a while. Gotcha. It's a really weird product. I would. I would imagine so. Yeah. It has. It has a a, a, a keyboard on it, as you'd expect from a Microsoft product. Uh, it has a keyboard on uh-huh. it. I'm going to look it up look it up now. What do you mean it has a keyboard on it? Just uh google it. I am. Like the you mean like a touchscreen keyboard? Mhm. Just think exactly how you think Microsoft would do a product like this and then it's exactly that. Hmm. It seems it looks huge. It's pretty large. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, I see the I see the picture you just sent over. Yeah, that 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 doesn't seem very good. Uh, so Microsofty. <sighs> okay. Uh, so what else we got? I think we had a couple other small things. I think that's. I, I don't have much to say about the watch. I think I got most of my. Um, I don't think I don't think anything's really changed for me. 
Yeah, I think I think that about covers it. I think it's it's more more uh, firmly integrated itself into my life. I I agree. I I think for me, a smartwatch is is an integral part of the interaction I have with my phone. Although, like I like I alluded to earlier, it, it is a pretty big adjustment to just never have your phone vibrate. Yeah. Except except for phone calls. But that that is just a very after. You know, after relying on feeling my phone vibrate in my pocket for notifications for like the last twelve years, it's just it's a very big difference to to not have that anymore. Yeah, actually, to wrap it up, I've got one last question. Uh, do you feel ashamed, or do you try not to use the watch in public? Yes. I, was, I just want to make sure I wasn't the the only person, because I because I think I think if you're if you're tapping on your wrist, like and especially with like a newer product. Like I just kind of feel like an asshole doing it. Com- completely. I don't. I don't feel like a. I don't feel like a jerk for wearing it. I think it's fairly discreet. But I think when you're interacting with it, yeah, you do look like an idiot. Yeah. Like I mean, I, I think if I'm just like if I if I uh, pull up my sleeve a tiny bit to take a look at what I, of, of what just happened, I think that's fine. And if you put it right away, but I think if you're sitting there like like tapping on it, like it just looks like you're trying to be seen with something or or, or i don't know it, just, it seems to make no sense to me yeah i think over over time maybe that'll kind of wear off but yeah right as of now i totally feel the same way all right i'm, I'm glad i bought this uh, product I'm, I'm able to be ashamed of <laughs> um all right what uh it's been a lot of me talking so far what, what else do you got i think that's mainly it's just uh, i know i i think the first uh week or week and a half i i, I did the majority of the talking about them about this thing uh what else is well no i think that's mainly it for me um i mean do you you have any thoughts or feedback on this uh on on like the whole uh rumored beats thing from apple that we'll see next month like do you do you you care much um i mean not not particularly i mean i'm 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 obviously interested in what they're going to do but i i don't know um I, I, the music is one of those things where I really do feel like between like Pandora for just, you know, like the lean back sort of just put on music and, and let it go experience and then Spotify for the, you know, on demand, like, Hey, I want to listen to this very specific album or playlist or whatever. Like just between those two things, I feel like I've, I've got, I've got what I need when it comes to music. So I'm not, I'm not really sure what beats is going to do. That's going to make for a better experience than what I already have. Gotcha. And you never tried it, right? I No, I did. I did. When I was looking to switch off of RDO, I pretty much tried everything. Uh, beats. Um, what else did I'm I try? Sure, I'm sure you didn't try Rhapsody. So Google, you, uh, Google. I didn't try Rhapsody. So you, I tried you did not Go- try everything. I tried Google play music or whatever it is called, the thing you called, the thing you pay for it's called google play music all access trademark <laughs> rolls rolls right off the tongue yeah um and then i tried spotify and then ultimately you know went to spotify but um i found beats to be i found this the whole setup experience i found to be very off-putting I disagree i thought the initial setup was fantastic i thought the bubbles that you pick of your like uh like key like musical influences or like or like good um, like jumping off points was very neat. I just my only issue with it was that it wasn't um, there wasn't a desktop client 
So you got this kind of weird um, web browser uh, client that wasn't terribly good. And it was, it was sometimes kind of stale, like the playlist that you got served wouldn't ever change. And I only found that out after a couple of weeks of using it. But yeah, but I'm, I'm pr fairly happy with Spotify. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, the, again, I don't, there's not really much that I don't already have in the musical, music apps rather that I use. So I don't know. I just am not, not really clamoring for anything specific. Anyway, it's a really, uh, yeah. Weird, weird disjointed podcast today. A little bit. Yeah, a little, a little bit off. That's okay, though. It's okay. You, you'll, you'll edit it up. You'll uh, tighten it up. We'll, 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 yeah, we'll, um, we'll, we'll, we'll trim it down. We'll insert some more interesting points. Now it'll be fine. You'll just structure it around the ad reads. That's right. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right.